What is ESG investing exactly? Well, what if we told you it's that rare nexus where people who want to do good for the planet and society and people who want to make money can come together and everybody wins. It's a fascinating phenomenon. Trillions of dollars have been sunk into ESG investing with more on the way. To tell us all about it, we have Jihan Hyde. She is the founder of Communique and an ESG communicator supreme here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. This week, we're going to demystify ESG. And I'm not even going to define it right now because we have a very special guest who's a real expert in this field. And it's our great pleasure to introduce Jihan Hyde. Hi, Jihan. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a real honor to be part of your podcast. So yes, my name is Jihan Hyde and I am the founder and CEO of Communique. We are a startup that specializes in communicating environmental social impact and governance strategies. We've been doing so for the past 15 years and our work has so far impacted 150,000 clients, 200,000 employees and resulted in closing investment deals worth 300 million pounds. Wow, that's amazing, well done. (laughs) A lot of numbers as well, so that is us. So ESG. What's the difference between ESG and CSR, just to get the ball rolling, I guess, as a question? So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Right. CSR stands for Corporate Social Responsibility. Historically, CSR has been a marketing activity that is mainly led by companies to showcase that they have an impact on the societies and communities that they operate in. But the problem they had with CSR is that we could never link it back to sales growth of a company. It's just there because we have to do it as marketeers. Yeah. So it's more of a, here's some content about us planting trees somewhere around the world or whatever in terms of policies and things like that, CSR. Besides here's some content, here's some initiatives, here's the outcome of the initiatives. It was very difficult to tie it back and prove that these initiatives and the positive outcomes have actually resulted in the growth of our companies, whereby ESG literally is toolkits and factors that you can then measure to identify what are the risks that your company has, how are you mitigating these risks when it comes to your environmental impact, your social impact, and how are you governed internally as a company. 
So ESG is more measurable. CSR is more marketing, if that makes sense. And is it a global thing or is it like a European initiative? What's the reach of it? Are we talking about ESG? ESG, yeah. So let me give you some context because a lot of people don't know where it came from yet. Okay, but they will because they have to. So ESG basically was around for a while. And by a while, I'm talking about seven to eight years ago. But it was never at the forefront of anyone's mind until 2019, where Greta showed us the importance of environmental and climate change and the threat that we're facing. However, it really erupted massively in 2020. And the reason it erupted is because we went through three different crises. We went through the pandemic, which is the health crisis, then the economical crisis, then the social injustices crisis. ESG originally was born from the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So in 2015, the UN sat with all of its countries and issued 17 goals that would help the world to become a better world and would help us to save our planet and our people. But the problem with the SDGs, which is the UN Sustainable Goal, is that it's a framework. The UN was never able to give guidelines on how to really implement these 17 goals. So think of the UN, the SDGs as the, as the umbrella. ESG is not a terminology that will be used by Jihan walking in the street. So Jihan walking in the street will have no idea what's an ESG. She will know what SDG is because it's everywhere now and everyone's talking about it, whether it's a government, whether it's the community. The term ESG is purely used by investors, by leadership teams, and by companies in general. From a communications point of view, we as communicators, we will only be exposed to the terminology ESG if we are part of the investment relation teams, okay? If we dissect the E, the S, the G, E stands for environmental, and that purely demonstrates how a company is positively or negatively impacting the environment and how it will mitigate these risks to have a positive impact on the environment. We read a lot or hear a lot about companies going net carbon neutral. Is that an example of an environmental policy? Yes, I was just about to say that. So under the environmental policies or the environmental factors, it's all about how you are using your energy in your companies. What are you doing with your waste management and how are you impacting climate change? Right. We look at the S, it is the social impact. And that is literally the relationship that a company will have or has with its stakeholders, starting from employees, going into communities, suppliers, customers, and investors. So the factors under the social will include labor relations. It will include human rights. Yeah. If we look at the G, which is the governance, it's literally how a company is being governed internally and how ethical it is. So think of that as the compliance policies, the diversity of the board, the power that the board has over, for example, the chairman or vice versa, and the business ethics of how a business is running itself. And that, in a nutshell, is ESG. So factors which have kind of really brought it to front of mind, I guess, for most businesses. I mean, you can't open a paper these days without reading about an ESG policy that a business has or whatever. But 
I guess there was a sort of groundswell coming. I mean, you mentioned Greta Thunberg. And, you know, I guess you have other things like conscious consumerism and things like that coming through. Is it a reality that younger people really want companies to be more conscious about these things? Or is that sort of hype? Let me give you some data to explain to you how much of a reality it is. That's not going anywhere. And there's three aspects of this reality. Let's talk about the investors first, because for us as startups, the most important people are the investors. In 2020 alone, 84% of the global investors are now looking into only investing in an ESG-focused company. 84%. Wow. (laughs) That's a phenomenal number, right? Yes. The second data that is astonishing when it comes to investors is the fact that $77.8 billion are now being invested as we speak in pure ESG investments. By the way, could also be referred to as green investments. Okay? So that's when we come to the investor part. Let's talk about the customer. If we look at the clients between 18 and 34 years old, 78% of these clients globally have said that they will only buy a product from a company that highlights its ESG initiatives. 78%. Wow, that's 78%. I imagine because my son doesn't know ESG, but he does know if a company has some green policies behind it or it's sustainable, et cetera, he understands some of these broader terms, right? So that 78% includes those, right? Yes, globally one in three customers are now changing into buying sustainable products, one in three. And I'm not talking about retail products, I'm talking about all products. So FinTech is definitely at the forefront of these products as well. Yeah. If we look at women, 53% of the global women have said that if their managers don't have values that are tied into the environment or the social impact or ethics, they do not want to work for them. So that takes us nicely into employment. I just want to comment on that. For me, I would have thought those numbers might be the other way around, that there was greater consciousness about equality with women. So I would expect that number to be higher and maybe the younger generation slightly lower because maybe there's a feeling that they don't care so much. But it's surprising me that A, the younger generation do care that much, but B, it's not a greater percentage, you know, that a woman that would feel, you know, I want to be treated equally else, you know, I should be finding another job. But don't forget as well, Don, as women, we've always been shouting it, but we never had the backing of the society or the cultures to help us achieve this. Now, with COVID and the other two crises, we are stronger and we have the power now to really speak up. So I'm not surprised about the 53 as we speak, because I think this number is going to rise. Give it time. This is the social conscience coming through. You know, the other thing that I think kind of part drives this is the fact that, you know, the increased use of social media, people leveraging content over the web, right? That's raising awareness because things are much more easily accessible now in terms of data and information. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If anything, social media is from a startup point of view, it could be your ally or it could be your worst enemy. And this is where the strength of communication and transparency and clarity as well is key when you are communicating ESG 
because the new generation is not going to be fooled. They will have no problem challenging us as founders on how ethical and how authentic we are. I sort of worry about things like greenwashing, that, you know, a lot of companies are just pumping out policies and content and it doesn't kind of match with the reality. But what you're saying, which I think is really true, is actually it's so easy now to hold companies to account and do that at scale in a way that wasn't kind of possible before. And I think, you know, the reality, if there is a degree of BS around this stuff, people will kind of smell it out very quickly. And they will because, let's look at greenwashing, since you've mentioned it. It is a hot topic at the moment as well. If we look at the history of greenwashing, greenwashing only existed in the 80s, to be exact, 1986, by a man called Jay. He went to a hotel, and the hotel basically said, can you please reuse your towels to help us preserve the environment? But then what they failed to say as well, By the way, while you're helping us save the environment, we're actually having a massive development next door that is killing half of the sea life. So that's greenwashing for you. Basically, it's a marketing stint. It's a marketing strategy that creates a false impression about your products, about your services, and about your sustainability. This comes on to the third element, which is governance, right? Not just governance. You have to also look at why is there greenwashing? The reason we have greenwashing is because there's lack of data. That's one of the difficulties that I, as a communicator, face when I am trying to communicate an initiative. A, I don't have the right data, and no one does, by the way. If anyone tells you they have the accurate data, and specifically when it comes to the environmental impact, they're not telling you the truth. The second problem as well is the technicality of ESG. It's too technical for communicators to really be able to decipher it. But the key to greenwashing is to be able to have the guts to say, actually, we have the data, but we're not sure that it's the right data, but this is what we want to achieve. And this is how we want to ask you to help us to achieve it. So greenwashing can easily be overcome if you're transparent, if you're clear, and if you're concise in the way you're communicating your sustainability efforts. And what's interesting is that one of the ways that you could figure out how a company's greenwashing is by the language they use. So if you look at companies who are using, let's say, we're eco-friendly, what does that really mean? You're just using a big word to explain something that you obviously don't have any proof of. Or we're sustainable, really? What does that mean? How are you sustainable? Show me how. So these are the words that you as consumers, we need to look for, and that would be the first part to highlight the danger that they're just greenwashing. Which brings us on to one of the sectors you're focusing on is fintech. And I think, you know, what we've seen is certainly in the UK and Europe, a proliferation of new players. I guess in many cases, mentally, I'm thinking new players, new kids on the block, they're bound to be a lot more kind of ESG focused. So I was kind of interested, why did you think about focusing on the fintech industry? The reason why I focused on fintech is because I saw the potential that it has to save our planet and to better our lives as a society and a nation. And specifically, because I'm from Africa, I could see its its impact on eliminated poverty very quickly. 
And I wanted to be part of that movement, to be part of the movement that would help touch on every goal within the sustainable development goals. So to give you an example, fintech can help eliminate poverty. We've already seen this with all of the payment apps in Africa. You know, fintech can help tackle climate change. Uh, there is a recent acquisition by a very famous incubator called Y Combinator, and they just bought an app that would help us calculate our carbon footprint. I could also see eliminating discrimination and improving inequality. I could see that there's so many apps there that are working towards unconscious bias and eliminating these biases. So yes, in other words, fintech is one of the very few sectors that tackles every single SDG and would make it happen quicker than any other industry that I am aware of. It's a very interesting perspective. And again, it's not something that the average consumer would kind of think maybe these new kids on the block, they're going to be a, a lot more thoughtful about these things. But it's kind of interesting that actually it's sort of starting to play out as the reality. What's your view on the current state of play in terms of ESG with some of the neobanks that are out there or challenges or whatever people like to call them? I do have a lot of opinion. If you look at the new kids in the block, and you know how I do like my data, the new kids on the block, they're equivalent of $4.7 trillion at the moment in the market. Trillion dollars. Okay. So they're a very rich new kids in the block. <laughs> <laughs> These are like Monzo, Starling, Revolut, people like that, right? Yes. So recently, Communique, we, um, a research piece on what are the top 10 neobanks in the UK and Europe doing when it comes to ESG initiatives. How are they communicating it? What part of the E, the SDG, are they focusing on? What tone of voice are they using? And what are the channels they are using? And based on that, we then identified what are the gaps that they really need to fill. And the majority of the ESG initiatives, first of all, all came up last year. The banks that we looked into, they included Bunk, they included Lunar, they included Monzo, N26, Neon, and Revolut, and of course, Starling. So these are some of the banks that we looked into. The majority of the banks, and I mean 99% of these banks, only focused on ESG initiatives last year. Wow. The majority of the initiatives that they focused on were environmental initiatives. Are they walking the talk or just talking at the moment? Well, that's the problem. That's the gap that we identified. They're talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Yeah. And what was surprising is that they generated so much hype around these initiatives and everyone were with them in the movement but they left their customers hanging by not explaining where are they now with the initiative. Yeah. It was Starling saying we're opening branches. People go, oh, they're opening branches. It turns out if you did something, they'll plant a tree. So did you manage to find out how many trees Starling had planted on the back of that piece of marketing? Yeah, yeah. It was nice, good intent. But if you look at and financial over a million trees, right, that's a meaningful dent. 
So yes, yes, interestingly, we found what piece of trees that they planted. Okay, so they planted, and I have the data here. The bank made a one-off donation of 2014 trees to Trillion Trees to mark the year that they were incorporated. And that's all we know. Wow. There is no information whatsoever on how successful were the referrals because it was a referral scheme. If you refer a friend and that friend opens an account, we will plant a tree. So that was the scheme. If you refer the friend, they will plant a tree, but also pay three pounds to the WWF in the UK. And that's all we know. We have no idea how many trees exactly have been planted, how many referrals have been made, how successful it was. We have nothing. So going back to your definition at the beginning, that sounds more like CSR, right? ESG would have said, We've done something good, and here are the facts behind it to back it up, right? Exactly. Actions speak louder than words. I certainly looked at Monzo, and some of the things that they were doing, I just thought, look, you know, some of this stuff costs money and actually, you know, can be difficult, right, especially when you don't have branches. But they went out of their way to create an online process for refugees to be able to open a bank account. Now, look, I don't know how many people signed up, right? That would be good to know but at least that process was there and you can actually go on and try it whereas other people are talking about you know saving the planet and doing x y and z but actually we don't see the actions and the quantifiable numbers that's generally like what your research is highlighting right absolutely absolutely just to throw something out there is monzo really being ethical and they want to help the community by opening an account for refugees or are they being smart because they have touch a market that no one wants to touch. But we have to be very skeptical as well. We have to understand why are they doing that and what is the outcome of that? So I'm originally from Sudan. On total, in the UK alone, we're more than half a million refugees. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're not necessarily just outly taking advantage. I mean, one of the points that you make is that actually following ESG policies is a profitable business, right? that actually you can do good and save money or make money from doing that. That it's not just a cost that, you know, incurs into the company. And that to me is quite an important point because it means that there's no reason why other people shouldn't be doing this, right? There's no reason why it should just be a PR statement. Absolutely no reason. And the data is telling us as well that companies who have ESG as part of their DNA have actually yielded to a 28% more profit. Wow than the ones who didn't, who only yielded 14% profit. Right. Wow. It's fascinating that investors are so big on ESG as well, because they must be looking at the numbers and going, well, this is the future. You know, this is all part of the future. And I think I've had a few light bulb moments just sort of chatting to you, because you go, well, actually, if you're not doing ESG, and it is much more CSR, and it's just marketing, and it's greenwashing, you're going to be out the race very, very quickly. You know, one of the things Damish and I have done is we've chatted to a few startups and a few banks based out of sub-Saharan Africa. And you just end up going, my God, the difference, as you say, about getting people, the unbanked into the banking system, how development 
can be such a positive thing. You know, they all sort of see opportunities to do good, but also make money on the back of it. That's not a bad thing. It's fascinating to me. So how do companies avoid that kind of ESG slipping into CSR? What would your advice be around that? First of all, companies, whether I give them the advice or not, they will have to slip away from CSR because if we look at the regulators right now, and specifically in the fintech sphere, let's start with the EU. The EU just announced their 11 taxonomies that forces all companies who operate in the EU to highlight their ESG factors, and they have to report it effectively with measures and with outcomes. Okay, if we look at the FCC, they've said that they are going to be responding to climate change. If you look at the Middle East, and specifically in Saudi Arabia, the Dow, which is their stock exchange, now are forcing all companies, including Aramco, believe it or not, the biggest polluter in the world, or at least one of the biggest polluters in the world, they've now forced everyone who's listed to focus on ESG. Whether they like it or not, they will have to stop CSR and focus now on ESG. How do you start communicating your ESG? You have to, first of all, really dig deep into why are you wanting to communicate here? So dig deep into your purpose and into your root as a company. And that's how the majority of companies, including Unilever, for example, succeeded. Yeah. For them to issue their sustainable living brands, they had to go way back into the archives and figure out what is their purpose. And that time, the purpose was to make cleanliness commonplace because babies were dying and the founder helped save the baby's lives. And that's how then they change into making sustainability their purpose. So number one, look into your roots. Look into why you founded your companies and what is your purpose. Number two, be transparent. Be honest. Admit that you don't have the data, but you're working on it. Don't try to cover it up by making up data because you will be caught out. And that is a more of a reputational damage to you that you will not be able to rectify it easily. Number three, utilize your customers. Your customers know what they want more than you do. So go back to your customers and ask them, how do they think that you should be a sustainable company? What measures should you be taking? So do focus groups, do surveys, involve them. And once you involve them, they have no room for them to come and attack you because they were part of the process. Mm -hmm. So you are basically shooting two birds with one stone. Okay. Number three, if you are a scale up and you have, uh, sorry, number four, and if you have employees, make sure you have sustainability champions within your organizations. It's actually the sustainable champions are the ones who are going to help you the most. Because they know your business better than probably you do as a leader and a founder. So utilize them. It was the sustainable champions that moved the likes of GE from being a $700 million firm or company into a $1.5 billion company. So utilize your employees, utilize your customers, know your roots, know your purpose and make sustainability and ESG as part of your everyday messaging. Don't separate it 
and make it into an initiative here for an E, an initiative here for an S or a G. Communicate it as a holistic story so that people can relate to it. My huge takeaway is about, you know, making this thing measurable. If it's measurable, then you become accountable. And I think that's a massively critical thing. Your advice, it sort of sounds oddly like branding in a way. Companies have to go back, have a look at their brands, their purpose, and look at how do they make that something that they kind of live through action, you know. So it's been fascinating. There is also the way you report it, because each industry has different reports and factors that they need to measure on. And so, for example, Dharm, in your world, the property tech world, you have a report called GRESB, and we talk about acronyms, okay, which basically stands for the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, specifically for property tech or properties in general. Whereas the majority of companies, they use another type of reporting called GRE, which is the Global Reporting Initiative. That's the most holistic report. But even when you write your report, make sure that you tell a story and it's not just pure numbers. Yeah. That report is your window to the world. That's where your employees or potential talents will read when they join your company. That's where your existing employees will read to become your ambassadors. And that's where your customers will read to understand should they buy from you or not. So yeah, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to communicate, but it's also not impossible. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, look, you've covered the whole area of ESG, you know, and I dare say we've just dipped our toe in the water a little bit, but what you have done is demystify what ESG is and how to communicate and how to start within your own organizations. No doubt every listener can contact you and get more detailed information if they want to, but I would certainly urge everyone to look out for the research reports. I, for one, would definitely be picking up the FinTech one to have a good look at that. But from me and Dave, thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing all this wonderful information. Definitely the facts were really interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.